Hey, it's Martine. Just a warning that today's show contains mentions of a racial slur. Miranda Zonka is 18. She lives in Chicago, and lately she's been thinking a lot about her racial identity. It started when the pandemic triggered a wave of anti-Asian violence, including the spa shooting in Atlanta last March. Of the eight victims tragically killed in the Atlanta mass shooting, six were women of Asian descent. They were I really just had this weird moment when a lot of my Asian friends started talking to me about, like, this is crazy that this is happening to us. We need to talk to our relatives. You know, we need to start standing up for our people. And I kind of started questioning, like, am I Asian? You know, am I part of this victimized group? See, Miranda is mixed race. Her mom is Chinese and Puerto Rican, and her dad is white. And Miranda found herself asking, where did she fit into this moment? And what does it mean to be, like, Asian enough in certain situations? And am I Asian enough to be upset? Am I white enough to be making a difference? From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Thursday, November 4th. Today, we begin our new series, Teens in America. American teenagers have now lived through a pandemic that disproportionately affected people of color, an economic upheaval, and a racial reckoning. These young people are part of what's likely the most diverse generation in our country's history, and they're shaping the conversations that we're all having about race. According to a poll from The Post and Ipsos, nearly three-quarters of teens say that they've talked to a parent about race in the last year. So over the next few weeks, you'll be hearing from teens across the country who've been having tough conversations with family and friends. It's part of a new project from The Post about teens in America and how they're dealing with this change at such a formative time in their lives. These teenagers are reporters for YR Media, a nonprofit that works with young journalists and artists to tell their stories. First up, we've got Miranda. According to the most recent census, more Americans than ever identify as multiracial. So Miranda is one of the growing number of teens navigating their identities as debates about racism have broken down along racial lines. Before all of this discussion around anti-Asian violence was happening, like, did you consider yourself Asian in addition to considering yourself mixed race? I think I definitely let people's perception of me dictate a lot the way that I see myself. So growing up, people would mostly identify me as Asian and people would be like, oh, you look Asian or you at least just look just white and just Asian. So I kind of took that in and I was like, yeah, yeah, I am kind of Asian. But then I would like hang out with my fully Chinese friends or Korean friends and I would be like, I'm not Asian. <laughs> like these don't these people don't see me as Asian and my family doesn't do the same stuff that they do and I wish I had more of that cultural assurance mm. and mm-hmm. just that really like solid view of this is who I am. But mostly it was just like I don't know. <laughs> mhm. Mhm. So, Miranda, I know that you talk to a lot of people in your life about these issues. You talk to your grandfather, you talk to your brother, and you also talk to your mom. So maybe let's start with her. What were some of the questions that you had in your mind that you were trying to get your mom's take on? 
So when I talked with my mom, it was interesting because we we have pretty similar experiences. And I think part of that can just be attributed to we're very similar people. But she grew up with her Puerto Rican grandmother. So a lot of the Puerto Rican culture was just inherent. It was always there. And she was getting that from her. But with her dad, there weren't a lot of Chinese things going on. You know, there was always the kind of odd Qingming celebration and like Chinese New Year. But other than that, not a ton of cultural stuff. And so she told me that she also kind of has this experience of like not really knowing how other people see her. And she brought up the time when there was that shooting in Atlanta. You know, that morning, people were texting her and reaching out to her saying like, I'm so sorry, and my thoughts are with you today. And she was genuinely pretty confused. And I was like, what the heck's going on? It's terrible. It's awful. Uh, You know, it just, you know, shocking that it happened. I didn't, I'll be honest with you, I didn't see myself as particularly being attacked. And so I um, I was surprised at all those texts I got. Did you think of yourself as an Asian person? It's a super good question, because I remember thinking of my Asian relatives as pretty Asian, like, boy, I'm I'm not understanding what they say when they start to speak um, Cantonese to each other. Um, And I remember walking down the street one day, I must have been in like fifth grade, and um, and a car went by screaming, hey, chink, hey, you chinks. And I look to my left and I look to my right and I say, who are these awful people yelling at someone who's Chinese? Where is the Chinese person? How can I go and comfort them? And then I realized it was me. So if I'm being totally honest, I my brain doesn't walk around saying, you are Asian and people see you as Asian. That's kind of always how it's been for her. And I thought that that was... Like, that really resonated with me because that was a similar experience to what I had. And it's just, it's really interesting because I think she doesn't even really think about it that much. And I think that that goes for a lot of mixed people in the world where, like, you don't quite think about it until something comes up. And then you're like, this is weirdly important to me. Um, And, you know, I want to figure it out for some reason. So then these were some of the feelings that you both were having after the shooting and trying to navigate where do I fit into this discussion around anti-Asian violence. But what happened after that? How did that start to play out in the ways that you were responding to this moment of crisis and concern and activism? So a lot of the time, I'm the one who's like, Mom, we need to be doing more. Like, we need to be getting more involved. And at that moment, I I just froze because I was like, I don't know what I can do. And my mom really stepped up and she was talking about it on social media and really just being vocal about it. Those those crimes really did bring out sort of a protective instinct in me because I am sort of privileged to be able to occupy both spaces. And so like a lot of people, I attended um, allyship training and bystander training. And, um, and, and I think it is incumbent upon us to say, oh, you think I'm going to look this way and take it? Seeing my mom take a part and start speaking up about it and become more conscious of it definitely inspired me to become more conscious of it and say to myself, well, like, whether or not I see myself as very Asian and whether or not, you know, some people see me as Asian or not, like, I should be talking about it. Yeah. What are some of the ways that you feel like you try to make those 
active steps toward connecting with this culture that sometimes you feel you're not completely a part of? There are a lot of things about our day-to-day lives that just make us feel more connected to Chinese culture. So, like, a lot of it is cooking. And we'll make different dishes, and that helps us just learn about Chinese culture, not only, like, the food that we make and that our family members make all the time, but also just different things about what grows in China. My mom also has done this thing her whole life where, like, when she makes friends that are Chinese or Puerto Rican or anything like that, I think that she kind of, like, subconsciously wants to spend time around them to kind of supplement that cultural education and enrichment that we would have gotten from family members that were, like, more Chinese or more Puerto Rican. I think in my adult years, as I've had more... Chinese friends, Chinese and Taiwanese friends, and I've learned more about Asian culture, um, that has made me feel more Asian. And I've, you know, learned about more customs and more foods. Um, I think I definitely do that, too, where it's like you want so badly to be connected to people that are really, really Chinese um, and you want to, like, learn from them. And so you just feel closer to them because you feel like, in a way, they're a little bit more like your family and they're teaching you that thing that you never really learned. So let's talk a little bit about your conversation with your brother, who I think is particularly interesting because he shares that exact same mix of racial identity that you do. And I'm sure that there's a lot that you guys can relate to with each other. Yeah. So while we don't have a ton in common, our very baseline commonality is like the DNA we share. And it's easy to kind of just relate to each other on that level. We grew up with the same people and we grew up with the kind of same cultural experience. but. He went to a school that was very different from mine. So he had, at least in terms of a middle school to high school experience, an extremely different social circle and environment towards like the northwest side of Chicago, which is just much more white, a little bit more conservative. And so he has a lot of different thoughts and um, experiences in terms of how other people define him. I definitely think what other people have labeled me as throughout my life has really kind of crafted my um, my image of myself and what I identify as, which is crazy. You know, it's a don't let society mold you. But really it has. I mean, for me, it's, it's, and it's tough not to when, you know, your entire life you're being labeled as like a 100% Chinese person, you know. He said that when he was playing football as a little kid, somebody came up to him and said, go back to China, chink. And that was like... That's a lot to deal with. And I, I was eight years old. I mean, I, had, I didn't even know that was really like uh, what, what that meant because I had no idea of my own race, really. It really got to the point for me where I didn't even want to be – I didn't want to be Chinese. I didn't want to be Asian. And I mean, I'm not 100% Asian, but to them, I might as well have been. That's all I was seen as. Did you try and reject being Asian more? Or do you feel like it became more of your identity because other people assigned it to you? I think it definitely became way more of my identity. And I think as I was younger, I really didn't like, like my freshman and sophomore year, I really didn't like being Asian. I just wanted to be white. Oh, how did it make you feel when he said that, that things were so bad that he 
didn't want to be Asian? I mean, for one, he's my big brother. So it was a really, it was a weird thing to hear from him. And on top of that, he's huge. He plays football. He is a brick wall. And so like looking at him and sitting across the table from him and and hearing him kind of recount these experiences where he just felt like the other made me like it made me kind of emotional in a way that I haven't really been in a lot of conversations with my brother and I think that it just it breaks my heart that being in that environment made him hate who he was and made him hate his background and just want to be white like that's the that is the worst thing that can happen to a mixed kid is just like sitting there surrounded by white people who make fun of you for being anything else and just wishing like praying to god that you could just fit in with them and be white Hmm. has that changed for him like how has his thinking on this kind of evolved over the years so thank god yes it has changed for him and uh i think he talked about towards the end of high school and definitely getting into college he just became more secure in who he was as a person i think that He actually, I think, became really proud of being Asian specifically. Like, eventually, he kind of just realized, these people see me as Asian, but I'm really proud of it because that's my culture and was like, yeah, that's me. Especially my senior year, I wore the red um, cord and tiger jade, and, you know, I I loved it. I loved it. And, yeah, most people might make a comment, but I didn't care. I loved being—I loved embracing my race. And I think that led me into— college too. And now I, I, I love myself for it. I love the race I am. I love being racially ethnic. I was so happy to hear that. I think you can hear in the way that he talks, he really is just, that was a moment for him when he realized, I think on his own, the transition that had happened. He got so excited, in fact, that he said he loves being racially ethnic, which I don't quite know what that means, but it's like fair, but I, yeah. I get it. Um, it's just so so enthusiastic. <laughs> exactly. He got so excited. So, yeah, I mean, that was great to hear. And I think that that was towards the end of our conversation. And it just made me feel a lot better about everything that I'd heard because realizing how affected he was emotionally and being in that environment, I think... Some people could have come out of that really just hating it for their whole lives, just wanting to be seen as white and wanting to blend in that way. And I think I'm really glad that he came out of it just with that attitude of like, so what, I'm different than you. That makes me cooler. I love that you all are kind of able to share your experiences with this and the ways in which they overlap, the ways in which it sounds like in some moments they don't overlap. But I wonder, like, hearing those stories of him talking about what it was like being made fun of for being Asian as a kid and and how that affected him. I mean, did you think back to what your childhood was like? I mean, were there comments like that that happened to you too? Yeah, so this is... This is very interesting to me as we like all started looking back on it. And I remember going from my first elementary school, which was like pretty diverse. And in third grade, I got to a elementary school that was slightly less diverse. And there were just like a lot of jokes where people were like kind of pulling back their eyes and like speaking gibberish. And that was really, really interesting because I think just like my mom said and just like my brother said, at that point, I hadn't really considered my own ethnicity. Like, I hadn't considered the way that other people see me. 
And it was so weird because I couldn't even be offended at first. Like, I couldn't even be hurt by what they were saying because I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) And it was just a really weird thing to process as a young child. I didn't really understand why anybody could be, like, upset with me or annoyed by me or try and use, like, part of my cultural background to try and insult me. It's also so interesting that, I mean, it sounds like one thing that you all are sharing is this question of, like, where do I fit into being Asian? And especially in this moment of these concerns about anti-Asian violence and discrimination, like, does that apply to me? And yet all three of you are quietly not talking about the fact that you all have been victims of anti-Asian discrimination and bullying and teasing and people screaming at you on the street. And that that is very much a shared part of your family's experience. I think part of it is also just, it's horrible that all of us, again, experience this at a relatively young age. I think the worst part is that when we talk about the points at which we started to kind of realize the way that we're perceived by people and to some extent start letting that dictate how we see ourselves, that's like a key moment. Like that was an integral moment of us developing this self-image. When we come back, Miranda has a conversation that makes her reconsider how her race defines her identity. Do you feel very Asian? I would have to say no. We'll be right back. So tell me about the conversation with your grandpa. That was the most interesting one for me. You know, the the whole thing of being Chinese-American is not uh, a very strong um, element in my day-to-day experience. So a little bit of background. My great-grandpa came here from China, and he started a bunch of restaurants, and it was really important to him that his children, my grandfather included, were raised just very American, and I think he intentionally kind of kept them from speaking Chinese and celebrating Chinese holidays and doing traditional Chinese things because he wanted to reduce the chance of discrimination in general against them. And so he tried to make it so that they lived as American a life as they possibly could. And I think that all of that came from a place of love where he was really just trying to put them in a position to assimilate as easily as possible into this country that he didn't really even know anything about. But at the same time, it it sucks to have to sacrifice one's culture for, like, safety. Hmm. So for your grandpa, how did that affect his relationship with being Chinese when he felt like his dad was pushing him so hard in the direction of being, quote-unquote, American, whatever that means. Yeah. When I talked to him, I really, the first question I asked him was like, do you feel very Asian? And... I would have to say no. Uh, You know, that's not the dominant part of my identity and my culture. Um, I think my culture has been shaped far more by a number of the things that uh, I've grown up with here in the United States. From, you know, talking to my mom and my brother about kind of like our experience throughout life of like 
grasping at straws for some sort of cultural um, experience and identity. I think that it's really funny to hear my grandpa just very nonchalantly be like, yeah, no, I don't really feel Chinese. And like, he is 100% Chinese, raised by Chinese immigrants. You would very much expect him to feel connected to his culture, but you can just see every result of what his dad tried to set up for him. In a way, I guess you could say it paid off and it worked. Because he just, you know, he goes about his life just thinking to himself, like, I am an American man who's defined by much more than my ethnic background. I think that what perhaps is more important is a host of questions posed by uh, the great Western philosophers, you know, talking about what does it mean to be a good person, right? How is that expressed in day-to-day life in terms of character? While that was kind of bittersweet for me, honestly, I'm happy for him because, like, it seems like he's really transcended this thing that I and I think so many other people are hung up on, which is just, like, how does my my race define who I am? And he's like, I don't care. Hmm. Interesting. What do you think are the takeaways of some of these conversations with your family about racial identity and how you all define yourselves? So I think for my conversation with my mom— It was a pretty simple lesson and a pretty seemingly obvious one, but I think it's very important, which is just that I am a mix of a lot of different stuff, and anybody who's mixed is at some point or another just going to have to accept that they are both or more than two of those things, and you're not supposed to just fit in a box, and you're not just supposed to constantly be searching for some kind of binary to hold on to, because at the end of the day, even somebody else who is, like, your exact same racial makeup, like me and my brother, we don't have the same experiences. But on the flip side, I think hearing my brother talk about it, sometimes you are just going to have to, like, except the fact that other people do define the hat that you're supposed to wear in some situations. And, like, if I could give myself a piece of advice, it would be to, like, not dwell on this so much. Because I think that there are important times to really consider, like, oh, you know, is it my place to be speaking about this? Is it my place to be asserting, like, my Chineseness? And there are other times where it's just, like, be yourself and and live as who you are and take in experiences and let that shape you and don't dwell so much on the way that other people see you because it's not worth it and um, you don't deserve to have to, like, always be thinking about that. You deserve to just live your life as a person. <laughs> That's all. This story was reported by Miranda Zonka and produced by Sabi Robinson and Rebecca Martin. It was edited by Robin Amer and Maggie Penman, with additional editing from Renita Jablonski, Krista Thompson, Emily Guskin, Scott Clement, Rebecca Martin, and Kyra Kyles. Mixing by Sean Carter, with original music by Alejandro Figueroa, Jacob Armenta, Noah Holt, Christian Romo, Anders Knutstad, David Lawrence, and Romel De La Fuente. We'll have more stories from this series next week. And we'd like to hear from you. Are you a teenager thinking about the role that race plays in your life? Or the parent of a teen who's had to figure out how to talk to your kids about this stuff? Record a voice memo on your phone and email it to postreports at washpost.com. 